Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, can I can I say can I say good morning again and happy Pentecost Sunday? Today is Pentecost Sunday. And um, it is a time where we reflect and remember the birth of the church and uh, the very first feast of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit fell on the men and women in the upper room with tongues of fire and the church was born. And I believe that God's still working and pouring out his spirit on his church and people that are willing to say yes to Jesus and willing to wait on him. Amen. So I'm excited to be back this morning. I'm, I'm happy to be back with family. And uh, like I said, uh, Faith and I were out of town last week, able to rest. We are firm believers in the Sabbath, uh, taking Sabbath rest and getting away with the Lord uh, weekly and even uh, periodically having a set of time side on a weekend just to be uh, refreshed. And I encourage all of you to, to set that rhythm in your life as well. There are rhythms that we follow as Christ followers getting in his word, praying, I would encourage even fasting, and definitely Sabbath rest, because God calls us to rest in him. Amen? And so, uh, thank you for allowing us to, to be gone. Uh, we watched online. Pastor Lance did a phenomenal job, those of you who are here. Uh, we are so grateful for him, and the worship team, the rest of the team did so good. We thought maybe we'll take more Sundays away, because you guys did so great. But uh, I'm here now, and I'm ready to preach, like it or not. Are you ready? Like it or not. Are you ready? Adan? Okay, thank you. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. This week, um, this week in our reading plan, I saw one of my favorite stories. I read one of my favorite stories about King David, and it's actually the story about his 30 mighty men. How many of you read that this, this week out of 2 Samuel 23? It's one of my favorite because I feel like those are like the superheroes of the Bible. Just incredible guys. And... Um, as I was reading those, I, that, that story pops out to me. It's so amazing. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with David's uh, 30 mighty men, they were like the elite special forces of King David's army. Like just beasts. Incredible men. The Bible tells us that the 30th man out of the 30 could take on 100 guys by himself and whoop them. He says the greatest of the 30 could take on 1,000 men and make them run for their lives. Sometimes I feel like, ooh, I won't be like that. Yeah. Could you imagine? A hundred guys, I'll be like, hold on a minute. I'll be, I'll, I gotta go find somebody else to chase you down, because I'd be terrified. I, and I love these stories, and I, it makes me even think, I don't know if you guys have watched movies before. I don't know if you watch movies. They're something that comes out of Hollywood, and people make them sometimes. Um, but there's a movie called 300. So the, the, the 30 mighty men, they're like Israel's 300, but just 30 of them, because God couldn't do more than what the world can do. And... Uh, he only needs 10%. Hello, somebody. Come on, and he can make it happen. I could see these 30 mighty men like, this is Israel, boom, and like kicking them, if anybody has ever watched that movie. Anyway, I love this story. Some of you all just, what are you talking about? I just love, I love these stories uh, of these mighty men uh, who were who able, one by himself, to cause a 1,000 to flee. The Bible says when two of them showed up together, 10,000, an army of 10,000 men would be like, hold up. Is that the 30 mighty men? All right, we out of here. 
he would cause 10,000, they would cause 10,000 men to flee. These 30 men could take on an entire army and defeat them by the power of God working in them. Could you imagine that? So, so amazing. And every one of these 30 men did incredible things. But I just want to focus on the top three this morning. I want to talk, I want to talk about the, the, the 10% of these 30 men. And as we've read through these stories, I believe that it reveals to us something about what it means and what it takes to be mighty in the kingdom of God. How many of you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God? Yeah, do you want to be mighty? Let me ask this side. How many of you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God? Yeah, Jay, Rao, come on. Esther, Jessica, you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God? We want to be mighty people in the kingdom of God. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean to be mighty? We have to know what, what, what de definition are we looking at, and then we have to ask, how do we do it? How do we get there? And so those are the questions that we're going to be answering. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down those two questions. What does it mean to be mighty in the kingdom of God? And what does it take to become mighty? All right? Make those notes down, and then you can follow along with me. If you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible that looks like this, they're, you know, they're kind of going out of style these days, but it's, it's called a book. Uh, if you have one of those, turn to 2 Samuel 23. If you have it on your smartphone uh, or some device, you can open that up. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along there. The notes are all there as well, along with the questions for us this morning. As you're turning there... Uh, this morning, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I pray over your word today. I pray, God, that it would be powerful to change and transform our hearts, to renew us and make us more like you, Jesus. As we come to your word and submit our hearts to the authority of your scripture in our lives, I pray, God, that you would do a work in us. That, God, we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind by the washing of your word over our hearts and over our minds today. Come Holy Spirit and speak through me to your people what they need, what they, don't, what they long to hear. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Chris, can I get the whiteboard up here? You guys were wondering, is he going to break out the whiteboard? Wait no more, friends. Here it comes. The whiteboard. The, uh, my favorite tool of ministry. Right here. All right. Everyone see that? I'm going to write down a couple of these things as we read. And uh, let's go. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The first one is this. Josheb Bashebeth. Say that with me. Josheb Bashebeth. Josheb Bashebeth. What's crazy is, friends, listen to this. This is Hebrew for Josh Blair. <laughs> no, it's not. But, it, I mean, it's worth a shot, you know. Joshua Bashebeth. You want to know how to say my name in Hebrew? You just say that right there. This is, this is, what, uh, this is who Joshua Bashebeth was. He said he was the chief of the three, the three being the greatest of the 30, the 30 being the greatest of all Israel in the warriors. He was the top of the top. He was the chief. He says he wielded his spear against 800 men whom he killed at one time. This is the guy who said one could take on a thousand. 
Joshua Beshebeth. Come on, I'm thinking, babe, one more kid. Joshua Beshebeth. Verse 9 says this, The next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. And he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. But he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and it had clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Everyone say Eleazar. Eleazar. He was the second of the three of the thirty. Eleazar, powerful, powerful men. He rose, he clung to the sword, he shared the plunder. Verse 11 says, And the next to him was Shema, the son of Agai, the Herorite. The Philistine gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took up his stand in the middle of the plot, in the middle of the field, and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Say, Shema. These are the three men that I want to talk about today because I think there's something in there that reveals to us uh, what we're trying to answer. What does it mean to be mighty in the kingdom of God? And then how do we become mighty? How do we become mighty? And I'm going to start with the third one first. I'm going to start with Shema. And what I'm going to do this morning is um, something that I don't always recommend doing. But we're going to do a word study on each of their names. Because I believe that there's something that is going to be revealed to us as we look at their names. Now, I don't recommend doing that with every Bible story because you're going to be going down rabbit trails Rest, the rest of your life if you're trying to say, now what does that person's name mean? Now what does that person's name mean, right? That could get kind of a little too uh, convoluted. But I believe that in this story, their names have some great significance in helping us understand what it means to be mighty in the kingdom of God and how do we become mighty. Are you with me so far? So I want to start with the third one first, and then we'll work back up to the top. We're going to look at Shema. We're going to look at what Shema did, who he is, what he, and what his name means. The first one, Shema, we know that he was a man that ran to the middle of a lentil field to defend it from being destroyed by the Philistine army while everyone else ran from it. He ran to the middle of the field that was ripe for harvest and would not allow it to be destroyed. This field that had been cared for, had been worked, had been invested in, it was ready to be harvested. At that very moment, the enemy attacked. And when everyone else ran from a field ready for harvest, Shema ran to the middle of it and defended it and defeated the enemy. Shema. Now we know that Shema was close to David. He was, uh, in, he was in his elite forces. He had relationship with David. In this story, David obviously is, an, uh, is a type of Christ. Which Every time I've been speaking about David, he's been revealed to us as a type of Christ. In this, Shema had relationship with David. He was close to David. He was part of David's army. He had relationship with him, connected with him. And his name means, if you're making note, writing notes down, Shema, it means astonished. 
but not, not just by anything, but astonished by loss or destruction. Shema's name means he was astonished at the potential loss or destruction. And isn't it ironic that he lives up to his name in this story? He sees a field that his people have worked so hard for. He sees a field that is, that is there ready to be harvested to feed his people. And in that moment when the harvest is ready, the enemy attacks and he is astonished that everyone else flees and he's astonished that, uh, at what kind of loss they're going to take from this harvest, what kind of destruction is going to happen to this field. So he runs to the middle of it to defend it and protect it. He was astonished by the potential destruction of the harvest, so he ran to defeat the enemy. Hopefully you're already seeing a parallel to what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you are already picking up on it. See, we have an enemy, the devil who is wanting to kill, steal, and destroy the harvest of souls that don't belong to him. And he is always wanting to reap what he did not sow and take what is not his. See, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, friends, we are in the middle of a harvest. There is a harvest of souls right now all around us. And what the enemy would love to do is he would love to storm into the midst of that harvest and he would hope that the army of God, you and I, would flee to protect ourselves. But he's looking for some shamas. God's looking for some shamas who would be astonished at the potential loss and destruction of another generation and who are willing to run to the middle of the harvest and defend it from the hand of the enemy. See, God has been planting seeds in people's hearts. He's been planting seeds in your neighbor's hearts, in your family members' hearts, in your co-workers' hearts, and those seeds are germinating and they're growing and they're getting ready to be harvested. And in those moments, the enemy will attack, hoping that you'll have such a great need for self-preservation that you'll withdraw at at the very moment God is calling for their harvest. You've been praying that your loved ones would come to know Jesus. You've been praying for your neighbors. You've been praying uh, for classmates. And God's been working in their hearts. But, but what will happen when the enemy attacks? Will we run from persecution? Will we run from hardship? Will we run from difficult moments? Or will we run to the middle of a field to defend the harvest from the enemy? See, the Lord is saying to us this morning, I've made you mighty in my name, and I'm wanting you to take a stand in the middle of this field that's ready for harvest and defend it from the enemy. Is there anyone out there this morning that's willing to run to the middle of their harvest that's around them and stand up against the enemy? Is there anyone out here this morning? We're looking at the first question that I asked this morning. What does it mean to be mighty in the kingdom of God? What does it mean? This is what I believe it means from this story. What it means to be mighty in the kingdom of God is to oppose the enemy in protection of the harvest. You want to be a mighty mighty man, a mighty woman in God? Then God is saying, protect the harvest from the enemy. What does that look like? 
What does that mean for you? Well, I think it means for caring for the souls of people. Even if they offend you, even if they talk bad about you, even if they gossip about you, your, your heart is for them even if they might be against you. Maybe you, you, it, means for, it means caring for their well-being, defending those who are uh, defenseless, who can't defend themselves, giving voice to those who don't have a voice. Whether that's in prayer or in action. I would say even both. Be it in prayer and in action, God is calling you, if you want to be a mighty person in the kingdom of God, to pray for the souls of others and also act for their well-being. Caring for them, sharing the good news of Jesus with them, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and giving them the love of Jesus. That's what it means to be mighty in the kingdom of God. Another way that we would say this is become a soul winner for the kingdom of God and you will be mighty in the kingdom of God. And maybe you would say, well, pastor, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Can I, can I remind you of something that I've already said? When Jesus said in Matthew 28... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, go those who are extroverted and have a gift of talking. Right? He didn't say that. He said, if you're my disciple, you will go and make disciples. So if you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God, care for the souls of others above even your own well-being or your own self-preservation. Come on, somebody. Well, I don't feel comfortable. It's not about your comfort. Well, I don't know. I don't have the right words. They shouldn't be your words anyway. They should be the Holy Spirit's. Well, I, I don't know who I should do. I don't know. Who, who, do I, who, who do I talk to? Who do I share with? God will give you. Just ask him. Ask him for opportunities. Ask him, God, today, whoever I encounter, whoever I come up against, whoever, whoever, wherever I go, give me an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. Does that mean that you're just walking around every time, Bible thumping and like, get saved, get saved, get saved? No, that's not what we're talking about. But it is saying looking for opportunities to give the genuine love of Jesus. Think about when you came to Christ. What was that like? Who shared the good news with you? Think about how you came to know Jesus and have a heart of compassion for people where they're at. And be willing to run to the middle of that harvest field that's ready and ripe. And say, I'm willing to stand here, even if everyone else flees, because I care about this harvest. And I'll, I'll fight the enemy for, the, for these people. Shema ran to the middle of a lentil field. Some of y'all don't even know what lentils are. Some of y'all don't even like lentils and legumes and beans. I tried to have Corbin eat some beans yesterday. Uh, kidney beans on a salad. He told me later, this morning, actually, he woke up this morning. I said, how are you, son? He said, I had a dream that there were beans everywhere. <laughs> I said, well, that goes exactly with my message. There are beans everywhere. And they need Jesus. <laughs> If he was willing to run to the middle of a field of lentils to protect it because he was so astonished at the potential destruction and loss of that harvest that had been worked for for so many months, how much more can we be astonished and allow our astonishment to drive us to where the harvest is? I want to be Shema. I want to run to the middle of the field that is ripe and ready for harvest and defended against the enemy. 
See, people who are lost in sin are helpless to overcome sin. They are powerless to overcome sin. So we run to them and we offer them the ability to, to know Jesus and be set free from sin that they are so entangled in. Come on, some of you remember before finding Jesus, you didn't even know how wretched of a sinner you were until you came to know Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit began to speak to you and say, no, this is not right. This is not, this is not what I've called you to. This is not the life I have for you. And your life begins to be transformed by him. Shema was a defender of the defenseless, a voice to the voiceless. He took a stand even when no one else would. What does that look like for you? Only you can answer that. But I would challenge you, who are you coming to the defense of? Who are you willing to, seek, uh, who are you willing to uh, for the sake of your own life, defend them? This makes you a mighty one in the kingdom of God. And what I think is also wonderful about the name Shema, it, it, as a name, it means astonished. But in Ezekiel, God tells the prophet Ezekiel, as the city is being built, he says, This city shall be called Jehovah Shema. And in that translation, Jehovah Shema means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And when these two things come together, Shema as our own astonishment for the loss of destruction, we can remember that Jehovah goes with us and Jehovah Shema is there in the middle of the harvest as well. He is there in the middle of the destruction that we see. And I don't know about you, but when I look out into this generation and I think about the, the, the destruction and the confusion and the twistedness of society, I think, who will stand and run into the midst of that? What hope do we have? And then I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit, I am the hope that you need. All I ask you to do is stand up and go, and I will be with you. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there also. It's beautiful. Now I want to look at the other two. So I've answered the first question. The first question was this. What does it look like to be mighty in the kingdom of God? It looks like Shema. Being willing to lay down your life for the sake of the harvest. Because the Lord will meet you there. Now let's answer the other, the other question. And I think the answer is found in these two names here. How do we become mighty? How do we become mighty? Let's look at Eleazar. We looked at Shema's name. Now let's look at Eleazar's name. His name means God is our help. Or you can also say support. It'll translate either way. God is our help and our support. We're asking the question, the question how do we become mighty? Looking at verse 9, the last portion of verse 9, it says that he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel withdrew. Again, he finds himself fighting when everyone else has fled. What I found interesting about this point about Eleazar and his name is that it brought to my attention that when God calls us, sometimes everyone else will abandon us, but he never will. Sometimes God calls you 
to be a follower of Christ, and as you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, your family will turn their backs on you, or your friends will turn their backs on you, or you'll have other issues that begin to take place as God calls you out of something into something. And people will tell you, oh, that's not what God wants. That's not what God said. That's not what God does. That's not who God is. And you say, no, this, I know what God's called me to do. And even after everyone else flees from you, Eleazar reminds us that God is our help and our support. Perhaps this morning you've experienced some type of abandonment, abandonment by parents, friends, or family, but God is there to help you. When things get hard in life, we're not supposed to run from the hardship. We're supposed to run towards God. But that's very contrary to our society, a society who doesn't know the Lord. Our society runs to everything else to find joy or to find peace, whether it be sex, drugs, alcohol abuse, cutting, whatever it might be as an expression of what's going on internally. Eleazar would remind us that God is our help in the time of hardship. The one who can cure the pain that we face in this life is the God who helps us through it. If you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God, you have to first recognize that God is the one who meets your supply. We know what it looks like to be mighty, but how do we get there? We have to recognize that God is our help and our support. We have to recognize that that is not something that we do on our own, through our own will, our own self, our, our self-determination, our willpower, but God is the one who works in us. The Bible says that he is our very present help in times of need. So what does that mean? We have to have a spirit of humility to become mighty. Doesn't that seem backwards? Let me tell you why it's backwards, because the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. You want to be last? Then you'll be first. If you're first, you're going to be last. Why? Because he says, I like to turn everything upside down. The world does it backwards. We think it's the right way. God says it's the wrong way. If you want to be mighty, you got to be humble. You want to be great, you have to serve. Amen? So you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God, be humble enough to recognize that it is God who helps you and supports you, not anything else. Not your own strength, not your own ability, not your own willpower, not anything else found within you or outside of you, which is contrary to this world. We're doing some workouts, and a lot of big workout stuff these days is the power within you. Dig deep, it's inside of you. I look inside of me, I just see fat. I don't see motivation to succeed. I need God. I need Jesus to help me and support me. So the, world's, the world will tell you, trust your heart, look within. No. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is vitally true when you're going through things. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you're a follower of Christ, he will cause you, uh, he will lift you up, he will help you to become mighty through hardships and struggles. How many of you know we need to be encouraged today as you're going through hardships today? Maybe some of you are going through some difficult moments today. You need to be encouraged that God is here to help you and support you. God has not abandoned you right in the middle of your trial, right in the middle of your struggle. I always, a friend of mine had said this before, and I think it's a great illustration. When you're taking a test at school, what is the teacher doing? 
They sit silently waiting for you to finish the test, right? Sometimes we go through hardships in life. We're in the middle of a test, and we, we cry out to God, and we don't hear anything. But God is silent, not because he's abandoned you, but because he's, he's waiting for you to pr- finish the test so that he can promote you to the next level. He's, he's, wanting to, to, he's wanting to walk with you and support you, but he's never abandoned you. And in times when people leave, when things get hard, we can either become bitter or we become better in the Spirit of God. And this is what we should do. Verse 10 says that Eliezer got up. When everyone else had ran, he got up. See, life tries to knock you down, but with God as your helper, you can keep on fighting. I would encourage you today to not give up, no matter what you're going through, whatever struggle you're facing or loss or hardship. I know some of you who are going through some very hard things. But, I, but the word of the Lord would tell you today, don't lay down and quit. Get up. Because the Spirit of the Lord is with you. He's helping you. He'll support you. You can keep fighting. So Eliezer was dependent on God as his help and support. And it also, I believe, that he clung to God's word. He clung to God's word. I'm taking some liberties here, but follow me. The Bible tells us that his hand, in the heat of the battle, had become so weary that it clung to the sword. We understand the word of God. We also call it the sword, right? Some of you, as you're going through hardships, I would, I would encourage you to cling to the sword. Hold on to the word of God. As you become more weary and tired, don't walk away from the word of God because it is your life. It is your hope. It is your defense. As the enemy comes to attack you, raise up your sword against the enemy. His hand stuck to the sword. I believe some of you are going through some fights, but the fight is not to beat you down, it's to draw you closer to Jesus. And some of us as people, we need, we need some hard things to push us in the right direction. Any of you need hard things to push you in the right direction? I need it. I'm externally motivated. I need someone to tell me, get up, eat right, work out, don't be lazy. I need that. If you know me, ask, ask Faith. She'll tell you he needs it. I need something. Sometimes in life, if we were just coasting through and comfort and no issues and no worries, we would not seek Jesus. It's sad, but true. Some of us, God is saying, I'm going to allow these things to happen. I don't want, things to ha- I don't want bad things to happen to you, but sometimes we need to be pushed in the right direction. And God allows things to happen to say, will you run to me or away from me? If we'll run to him, we'll find life. If we run from him, we'll find death. In the middle of the, fa- in, in the fight that you're in, cling to the sword. I believe the hardships in life that we face are meant to unite us with the spirit, not drive us away. And what I love about Eleazar, as his hand clung to the sword and he stood up when everyone else ran away, At the end, the Bible tells us that his victory became everyone else's victory. His victory became everyone else's victory. How do we know this? Because it says, the army did not return until it was time to gather the plunder. 
Do you have friends like that? You say, hey, I need help moving. They don't show up till it's pizza time. You're like, where have you been? <laughs> All the heavy lifting's done. Oh, man, uh, just barely could get here. Oh, you got pizza? I didn't even know. Like, get out, bro. What the? This is, this is what happened with Eleazar. He's in there. He's fighting for his life. He's fighting with people. He's clinging to the sword. He defeats them all. They're dead. The rest of the army's like, oh, what you got over there? All right, we'll come help you clean up. That's what they did. But he didn't say, no, 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 no. This is all mine. I earned this for myself. No, he said, come, brothers, sisters. Let's gather together. Let's enjoy the, let's enjoy the plunder together. See, he, he recognized that it wasn't him who brought the victory, but it was God who brought the victory. He had a heart of humility. God is my help. God is my support. So that when you have victory in Jesus, everybody has victory in Jesus. Because you're willing to fight with them. Because you know, without God, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. You want to be mighty? This is what it looks like. It looks like having a heart of humility, dependent 100% on God and not yourself. If he was prideful, he would say, the plunder is mine, back up. The pizza is mine, back up. I carried that couch. But then he, and then he said, no. God brought the victory today. We all will enjoy the spoils. Finally, you want to be mighty in the kingdom of God? Recognize total dependence on him as your help and support Cling tightly to his word. Lastly, we'll look at the greatest man in David's special elite forces, Joshua Bashebeth. This guy single-handedly took out 800 men in one time. 800 men. And his name means the one who sits in the seat. The one who sits in the seat. Now, in ancient times, places of authority were often signified by a seat, a special seat. Remember when I talked about the story of David and Mephibosheth? He says, I will give you a place of honor at my table. Do you remember? He gave him a seat of authority at his table. Those who dined with the king had authority in the kingdom. Joshua, his name means the one who sits in the seat, meaning the one who knows his place of authority. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about what does it mean to be mighty in the kingdom of God? You want to be mighty in the kingdom of God? Know your place of authority. Know your seat of authority. What does that mean? See, you and, if you and I, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus... You've been given a seat of authority with him. Do you know this? Ephesians chapter 2. We have that verse. Verse 6. Ephesians 2, 6 says, For he, God, raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us, in, with, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, the, the language in the Greek is not future tense. It's present it means even now you have been given a seat of authority in Christ Jesus. 
Maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't feel that. Maybe you don't feel it because you don't know it. As a follower of Jesus, you have authority. You have authority over the enemy. You have authority over the, over the darkness that tries to surround you. You have authority. Every place you walk, every step you step is now expanding the kingdom of God wherever you go. Because you have authority. And you know how Joshua Bashebeth, come on, was able to do what he did because he knew his seat of authority. He said, I have authority on my life. I, I have a place of authority and I can go out and be more than a conqueror. You want to know what it means to be mighty? How to become mighty? Know your seat of authority. See, the authority we carry as followers of Jesus is not our own authority. It's his authority. It's his authority. Do you understand? When, when Jesus was about to he, uh, heal somebody and this, this Roman centurion came and said, Christ, I have a servant who's sick. I, I, please heal them. And, and Jesus said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come. And he said, you don't need to, you don't need to come. Just say the words and it will happen. I understand this because I am also a man under authority. You want to have authority in your life? You have to submit to authority. Amen? See, Charles, just, you've just become a police officer at Fresno PD. You put that badge on, you have authority. Right? Not just because you wear a badge, but what that badge represents. We honor our officers because they, they uphold the law that we as the people have decided will govern us. And we give them honor and respect because of the authority that they have been given by the state, which is also by us. So he has authority and we submit to that authority because of the authority that he carries. He doesn't just, he's not just some rogue guy driving a, a car with homemade sirens and a gun, but like, hey, uh, uh, no, you, you were speeding. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> right? But he's gone through the training. He's done all the tests. He's been certified. He has the badge that gives him the authority to do what he does. And he has that because he came under that authority. And now he carries authority. Yes? See, as followers of Jesus, do we submit to his authority? and the authority of his word over our lives. If we do, then we walk in that authority. And we carry that authority. And we sit in places of honor and authority with Christ, and we're able to do mighty works in Christ Jesus. Because we understand that we are submitted to his authority. There are plenty of Christians out here who say they love Jesus, but they don't love his word. They say they love Jesus, but they don't honor his word. They don't respect his word. They, his word has no authority over their lives. Can I tell you something? They have no authority in their lives. You tell somebody, who's like, I believe in Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. I tell you, you don't know nothing. And the enemy does not submit to your words at all. You have no authority over darkness. But as I submit my life to the words of Jesus and the authority of Jesus in my life, that when he says, don't do this, I say, yes, Lord, help me not to do it again. I submit to it, and as I submit to that, now I walk in new authority. And I can be mighty in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be mighty? It means defending the defenseless, running to the harvest that is ripe and defending it from the enemy, loving people, desiring to see them know Jesus. That's what it means to be mighty. How do we become mighty? By being humble and submitting to the authority of Christ in our lives. 
That's what it means to be mighty in the kingdom of God. As followers of Jesus, we submit to his authority in our lives. We submit to him and he empowers us to represent him in the world. Then we have authority over darkness. We have the ability to overcome. You see, we are able to bring life into dead places. We are able to heal the sick. We are able to mend the brokenhearted and so much more by the power of Christ within us as we walk in his authority. How do we become mighty? Submitting to his authority in our lives. The authority of his word. And then we walk in humility under his authority. See, recognizing your authority is one thing, but walking in humility is another. You ever had a proud cop? Where'd Charles go? I went to point at him and he left. He got called to duty or something. You ever been, you ever been pulled over by a proud, authoritative cop? They're scary. You're like, I'm going to submit just because I hope you don't shoot me. But the best kind of cops are those who walk in humility and relate to people and honor people even as they exercise the authority over the people. Same is true for us. We walk in the authority that God has given us, but we still walk in humility as we love and care for people and honor and cherish people. Amen? And as we do this, the enemy will flee from us. So that one, as we stand, a a holy, spirit-filled believer stands in opposition to the enemy, a thousand of the enemy will flee from you. And when, can you imagine when we gather together and two or more are gathered, the Bible tells us. And if we take that same story of the 30, one would send a thousand and two would send 10,000 into flight. See, the Bible tells us if two or more are gathered and we agree and ask for anything, it will be done by our Father in heaven. And Jesus continues in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in his name, he is with us. He is with us now, amen? He is here now. The Holy Spirit is here now. As we are gathered together, submitting our lives to the authority of his word and asking for him to move on us. Are you asking for the Holy Spirit to move on us today? So I love about this story is that these men were mighty in connection to their king, David. David, the type of Christ in this story. And as he led them, they followed. As he went into battle, they went with him. What I think is so awesome about this passage of scripture found in 2 Samuel 23 is that we started in verse 8, talking about the mighty men. But before that, verses 1 through 7, it's entitled David's Final Words. David's Final Words. And it made me think about the final words of Christ. Here on this earth, before he died on the cross, was buried, and then rose again in three days. And those of you who know his final words on the cross, you'll know that he said, It is finished. It is finished. His work was finished on the cross that made it possible for us to walk in victory. Do you believe that today? 
that the work that Jesus needed to do, he has done. And he's made it possible for you to walk in victory. He's made it possible for you to become mighty men and women in the kingdom of God. He has given you, as you submit your life to him, of a place of authority with him. As you recognize you can't do it without him. And as you uh, begin to live this life, he will go with you as you run into the harvest to see people know Jesus. Say, I want to be a mighty man of God in the kingdom of God. So I need to be dependent on God as my help and my support. I need to cling to his word for my life. I need to recognize his authority over me and walk in the authority that he's given me so that I would be moved to see the world around me transformed by the love of Jesus and the harvest that God has given me defended from the enemy and come into the kingdom of God. Amen? So as the worship team comes forward, we close out our time this morning. I have two calls for us this morning. Those for you uh, who are in the house today or are watching online at home, wherever you might be. The first call I have is for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. My call to you is repentance. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Here this morning, the harvest might be ripe and ready in your own heart, but the enemy would come to try to steal and kill and destroy the harvest. But this morning we will stand against the enemy and give you the opportunity to know Jesus today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. Come on, if you're a follower of Christ, just begin to worship him. Tell him, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. If you're here under the sound of my voice this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you need to repent from your sin and to turn to him today, and on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? One, two, three right now. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray? Give my heart to Jesus today. Submit my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For, those, for the sake of those who were online this morning, let's repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. Come and forgive me. Wash me. Make me new. I know I need a Savior. I know I need you. So today, 
I pray that you'll do your work in my heart as I seek to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com.